The Lord has told us what is good. The Lord has told us what he requires of us. Do you see? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Do you see justice? A world where all are equal, a backwards kingdom where the last are first, and the heavy hand has been lifted off the oppressed? Do you see mercy? Are the bellies of the hungry fed? Are the heads of the homeless dry? Have you given clothes to those in need? Do you see humility? For when it is found, there your light shall break and appear like the early morning sun. Your righteousness will go before you, and you will rest in God's glory. This Christmas season, do you see? There we go. Good morning. <clears throat> it is good to have you here this morning. Uh, so glad that you braved the elements to be with us. Hey, Skagit, we want to thank you for being with us. And it's with uh, mixed emotions that we welcome you today. On the one hand, we, we greatly rejoice in the, the developments that have been made with the building and what that's going to mean for you in 2017 and going forward. Our hearts are also heavy with what happened in the valley this week with the shooting of the officer. And we're behind you and praying for you. This is one of the reasons why we're so excited that you're in the valley to bring the hope and the light of Jesus Christ in the midst of difficulties like this. So way to be the body of Christ and know that we're praying with you on that. Those of you in Boca Raton, <clears throat> we all wish we were there with you today. It's probably beautiful and sunny down there in Florida. We've got snow. Those of you watching online streaming, there may be more of you today because you didn't brave the elements, and that's, that's wise. We want you to be safe. Uh, good to have you with us uh, as well. Before we get into the, the sermon today, I want to just thank many of you who have already started uh, bringing in the, uh, the Gift of Grub donations. You know, a few weeks ago, I threw out the 5-5 challenge, and it was the whole idea that every man, every woman, every child, every boy, every girl, every student, every single, every single individual, not just family. Family, every individual would lose five pounds this Christmas, lose five pounds of non-perishable uh, groceries for our food banks as a minimum. Five pounds would be the, the, uh, the bar set as a minimum for every single person. We want 100% um, involvement with this. And so if your family has, has more people, it's going to be bringing more per person, that kind of a deal. And as I said <clears throat> that first week, some of you can stand to lose more than five pounds. And let me explain what that means. That for my wife and I, we're empty nesters. So for the two of us to bring 10 pounds of groceries, not that big of a deal. We can do that. The bar set pretty low. I don't know if you know Pastor Jeff and his family. There's like a picture of Pastor Jeff. He has eight kids. He and his wife, they have a family of 10. A family of 10. Now, the five uh, challenge for them is a little more. In fact, after we threw the five, five challenge down, that afternoon after church, some of his kids came to him and said, Dad, do you know what that means for us? And you know how much food that is. And so he helped them with their math problems there to do the math on that. And he said, that's right, kids, we're going to do this. You won't get toys under the tree this year, but we'll, you know, meet the challenge. So they're bringing, they're required to bring 50 pounds. So this is what I want to throw down. I want to throw down as an act of solidarity. If you want to take the Pastor Jeff challenge, and my wife were taking this, 
My wife and I are taking the, the Pastor Jeff challenge, and that is that we're going to bring 50 pounds of groceries because we want to we support Jeff, you know, if nothing else, because he may have to go to the food bank after this Christmas. But, but if you want to take the Pastor Jeff challenge, I'm throwing it down even more. Forget the five. Go for 50 pounds. Some of you can do that. And in fact, if you're going to take the Pastor Jeff challenge, if you see him, give him a high five. Say, I'm taking the Pastor Jeff challenge. Bring him in for a five count on the hug. Don't let him go. Five count on the hug and say, I'm with you, brother. Okay, so some of you have already started bringing in your groceries. So grateful for that. I want to encourage you to do that on Christmas Eve if you haven't already. If you're not going to be here on Christmas Eve, throughout this week, you can bring them, drop them off here at the church. We're just so excited to be able to join together and bless our community and help out our, our neighbors who are in need uh, this time of year. So uh, thank you for being a part of that. We're in this series, Do You See? <clears throat> this is the third week of this. And the whole concept is, do we see what God sees? Do we see situations? Do we see and respond the way that God would have us to respond? And we've been looking specifically at Micah. Micah was one of the prophets, and very often God would send a prophet to his people to help them see, here's the reality. Do you see how far off you've drifted off of course? Do you see what it's going to take to get you back on course? Do you see what will happen if you don't get back on track? And so they would bring this message of, do you see? Because they saw very clearly. They saw what God saw. They saw the reality. They saw the future of what was going to happen if things didn't get set right again. And God would send his prophets because of his love for his people and his desire for them to have the best life, to be in, 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 uh, in, in step with him. And throughout, God reveals the truth to us through prophets, through his word, through circumstances. And some of you are familiar with the story of Job who went through just horrific circumstances, some friends that weren't very helpful, and then he has this encounter with God. And at the end of the book of Job, after this encounter, he says these words. He says, my ears had heard of you. I knew about you, God. I knew your word. I knew your truth. But now my eyes have seen you. Now I can see. Now, now it's clear to me. And his response, because now he could see, his response was to humbly repent and to worship God. And you, know, you think about it, that is our goal, that we would see God and what he has for us, and that our response would be to humble ourselves, to repent, and to get on track, and to worship him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful works of your law. That every time we come together as a congregation in this kind of a setting, Every time your small group gathers together to look into God's word, every time you open the, the Bible to reflect on scripture, the goal is, God, open our eyes. Let us see. Let us see the truth. Let us align our lives with your truth. Let us respond appropriately. Do you see? And to have that kind of a response. About a dozen or so years ago, a Rolling Stone did a mag the magazine did, a, did an interview with Paul Simon. So you remember Paul Simon, Simon Garfunkel back in those days. And in this article, uh, Paul Simon uh, gave this as a response to one of the questions. He said, the only thing, the only thing that God requires from us is to enjoy life and love. It doesn't matter if you accomplish anything. You don't have to do anything but appreciate that you're alive and, and love. That's the whole point. Now, there's parts of this response that I really like. The whole thing of living with this attitude of, of thankfulness that, that life and breath is given from God each day is a gift and we ought to live it in absolute gratitude. I love that. The fact that love is a priority is good. And it's interesting that Paul Simon would recite, and love, that's the whole point, from the man who's saying 50 ways to leave your lover, just slip out the back, Jack, make a new plan, Stan, don't need to be coy, Roy. 
Obviously, he and Julio had spent way too much time down by the schoolyard, and his mom had taken his Kodachrome away. I'm just the bridge over troubled waters. I'm going to call him Al. Anyway, <laughs> he says this, and maybe, maybe part of it is his own version of something that he had heard as a child. Maybe it's his own interpretation of something you heard as a child. And some of you were raised with the Westminster Shorter Catechism and these questions, what's the chief end of man? And the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There's, there's pieces of that kind of in here, but it's a little different. It's a little more benign. It's a little watered down. Have gratitude. Be, be appreciative. Thankful. Absolutely. Love is a priority. Yes, for sure. But this whole nothing is required. What we've discovered is that love is a verb and love requires some things. And Micah points this out very clearly in this verse that we've been focused on as God speaks to this prophet and he says, He has showed you, O oh man. He showed you what is good. And what does the Lord require? Require of you. And then as we've seen, what he puts forth as the requirements that God has for us is something that is for every single person, and it's something that is achievable by every single person. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor, educated or uneducated, powerful or weak. It doesn't matter at all if you're even super spiritual or the elite of the religious or not. That these requirements are required of every single one of us, and every single one of us have the capacity to fulfill these requirements. He says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And, and, and this whole thing of looking at the verbs, to act, to love, to walk, and then how we act with justice. And we spent that time looking at what does it look like to right the wrongs and, and to treat people with justice and to be a part of, of bringing justice in a broken world. To love mercy and this condition of our heart, the motives behind it, to, to, not, just, to not just appreciate a receiving mercy, but to love it and to extend it and to love it when others get that. And then to walk humbly. And it might be easy to conclude that this last one, to walk humbly, is the simple one. I mean, as we talked about justice and all that goes into that, we talked about mercy and this transformation of our heart. Say, well, you know, walking humbly, yeah, that, that we, we do that. And I want to caution you before you just say, well, this is kind of the throwaway. This is the gimme. Because I think every single one of us deal with this. And maybe we don't even realize how much we need to take this requirement very seriously. See, when it comes to humility and pride, I think sometimes we take a, a neutral stance on this in our own lives. Because there's not many of us that would say, one of the areas of strength that I have is my own humility. That's a self-negating statement. All right, I'm very, very humble. I'd like to just let you all know that. At the same time, very few of us would say, you know, I'm just a really prideful person. We, we, we won't say that and maybe part of it is because pride is so insidious, we don't even recognize it. It has a tendency to put blinders that we don't even see it in ourselves. Or if we do recognize our own pride, we're too proud to admit that we're actually prideful. But I think this whole thing of walking humbly is something that applies to every single one of us and is extremely relevant to our lives. Now, let me take a very, I suppose, um, easy, cheap shot at humanity. Let me just give you an illustration a broad general illustration that would illustrate that we all need to focus on this. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. Not you. I'm not talking about you. But let me explain something, and I think that you'll recognize it in others, like the people sitting next to you and such. 
that usually when someone pins or posts or tweets or whatever, usually it's a way to express something that they're proud of. You know, and, and it's, 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 they wouldn't say it's motivated by pride, but there's some pride behind it. You know, look what we did on vacation. Look at my child's dance recital. Look what I made for breakfast. All of these things that are so important to show this is, and, and we're very proud of it. And very often we're involved with it. I mean, think about it. The inception of the selfie stick. No one created an othery stick. It's, it's about me. And if we're going to post a picture or, 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 or do some Instagram picture with us, we want to make sure it's a good one. And usually we look through a whole bunch of them to find the very best one. Oh, that one's not good. I didn't suck in my stomach. Oh, that one, I need to tuck that up. And oh, better get it my right side. And we want us to look thinner or better or stronger or faster or whatever it might be. And we look for the picture that really reflects a good light on us. And for those who are adventuresome, they're going to look for the picture that has it seem like the most extreme. I mean, they're going to put the angle of the camera so it looks like they're launching off a 50-foot cliff when really it's about a foot and a half. But the angle of the camera, just, it's like, yeah, I like that. And we want people to, to be convinced that our life, our breakfast, our vacation, our kids are better. To, to bring about this, this, this a little sense of envy, to be impressed. And then the pride meter goes up even higher the more likes we get, and especially if there's shares and retweets or the comments, and we just want people to look at this and say, yeah, they're living the dream. Now, I know you wouldn't do this, but do you know what? Am I wrong? I mean, the other people do that, right? And it's really kind of this, this pride thing. Let me give you a specific illustration, an example of a friend of mine, a guy I know. Okay, forget it. It's me, all right? Um, I have my whole life, I have wanted to surf, and I never have. I, mean, I grew up on a skateboard, middle school and high school, even college riding skateboards. My entire adult life, I've ridden snowboards. I've spent a little bit of time on a wakeboard, but I've never surfed, and I've always wanted to. So this fall when we went to Hawaii, I told my wife, I only have one thing that I absolutely really, really want to do. If I go scuba diving, great. If we rent a Harley, great. If we snorkel, great. If we rent scooters, great. This is the one thing I really want to do. I really want to take a surfing lesson this time. She said, fine. And so I did. And going into this surfing lesson, with my years on a skateboard, years on a, on a snowboard, even on a wakeboard, even on a slalom ski, there was a part of me that thought, I think I'll pick up on this pretty quickly. I find myself, in my mind, to be agile, semi-athletic, and at least a bit coordinated. And so I took a surfing lesson. And there were pictures that were taken of me in this surfing lesson. And after that surfing lesson and those pictures, I texted, posted, and emailed pictures of my experience. You, do you want to, some of you received them. Uh, let me show you one of them. There, look at that. I mean, that looks like right off the cover of Endless Summer, right? I mean, look at me. Check me out. Not to mention that the board's big enough that Shrek could get up on it. All right, but it wasn't just carrying a board. How about this one? Now, listen, I chose this picture because this wave was the biggest wave I saw all day. <laughs> and I'm actually standing up on the board. But I wasn't just standing up on the board. How about a toe-edge carve? All right, next picture. Look at that, just ripping it up, tearing it up, shredding it up. It's an amazing, amazing day. Yeah, that's your pastor. Who's your pastor? Okay, there you go. And then how about this one? At the end of it all, shaka. Okay, that's me. And those are the, yeah, that, that clapping, that's exactly what I wanted. That's why I posted these. 
and, and then the comments and the likes started coming back. And it was like, yep, this is what we're talking about. Because people would start commenting or tweeting back or, or texting back saying, and, and this is the one I love the most as a guy my age, you still got it. Okay, you know, and they're saying, you're a natural, tearing it up, gnarly dude. You know, all of these comments. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to convince people. That's what I wanted to impress people with. The reality is that my experience on a surfboard was far more difficult than I thought it would be, and I struggled far more than I thought I should. And there actually were other pictures that were taken that I never shared with anybody. Do you want to see them? <laughs> I thought you would. Until last night in the service, no one had seen these pictures these aren't the ones that I put as my new profile picture. These aren't the ones I text out. These aren't the ones that say, wish you were here. I'll just share two of them with you. <laughs> this was a common occurrence for me this day while I was surfing. Or how about this one? There you go. That's my new profile picture. That, that's the one I, I want everybody to see that. I struggled so much. Now, I painted this picture that I had this incredible day of surfing because the pictures I chose were making me look like I got it going on. I struggled so much. My surf instructor, who I'll tell you more about this weekend. I'll show you a picture of him this weekend. My surf instructor, towards the end of our lesson, we're sitting on boards waiting for, for a wave, and he looks at me and says, you're a man of the cloth, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, pray that the man upstairs would help you stand up on this board. And then when the wave came, he said something about you ought to be able to walk on water. Okay, so this is the whole thing. I wanted people to think, I wanted you to think, man, Bob, man, he's a servant. He's just natural. And the reality was I struggled to spend a whole lot more time looking like that than those other pictures. So I, I confess to you, I apologize for my deceptive nature on this. As your pastor, and some of you are saying, why would we ever go to a church like this? Just wait, it gets worse. Because while that's about my surfing experience, sometimes I do the exact same thing on a spiritual level. I say things, do things, imply things that may lead someone to believe that I'm more spiritual than I actually am. That I'm more mature than I actually am. That I have greater insights into scripture than I actually do. That I'm more disciplined and spend more time in the word than I actually have that I'm more altruistic than really is the condition of my heart. In fact, I might even say, do, or imply things that would make me look more humble than I am. But it gets worse. That sometimes I even do that, as ridiculous as it seems, with God. To try to convince him that I'm better than I am. To try to somehow impress him. To try to somehow make him believe. Because God, I did this. And I do this. And I don't do this. And I don't do this anymore. And I don't do this as much. And try to somehow convince God. And lest you think I stand alone on this. Ask the average person. If you were to stand before God and say, God, why should I let you into heaven? Their answer will be, trying to impress and convince God because of all the good things or the bad things they don't do. Here's the reality for us. Is that convincing God of our goodness is futile. To try to somehow convince him that, that we're better than we are. And there's two reasons why convincing God that we're so good is an act of futility. First of all, because we're not. 
I mean, it started in Genesis chapter 3 and all the way through human history. You get to Romans chapter 3, and it says, there is no one righteous, not one. Later says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's our condition. Isaiah would say, the very best I can do on my own, my righteousness are like filthy rags. We're not good. Not compared to our God. And the second reason that it's an act of futility is because God was there. I mean, he knows. He saw it all. I mean, he doesn't just see the pictures we post to him on Facebook. I mean, he sees all the pictures. And he knows the reality. And Micah comes along and says, here's what God requires. To walk humbly with your God. Now, you can walk arrogantly. You can walk pridefully. You can walk self-confidently. But not with God. At that point, you're out on your own. The only way you can walk with God is to walk humbly. And this is a theme of humility that is just all throughout the scriptures. And the importance of humility cannot be overstated. Again and again and again we see instructions about humility. And the converse is true as well. The perils of pride. Pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before a fall. And not only just the instructions about that, but examples throughout scripture of people who've met destruction and ruin and disaster because of the pride in their lives. And to have this humility in our lives, to walk humbly with our God. Isaiah, who's a contemporary of Micah, a prophet about the same time, writes in his book in Isaiah 66, the last chapter, he starts off that chapter talking about the greatness of our transcendent God and, and how he's just so far above and beyond. And as he paints this picture of how wonderful and amazing, how great God is, he follows it up with this statement in verse 2. God would say, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I think it's the Revised Standard Version that says, this is the one to whom I will look. Now here's the truth. God knows you inside and out. He knows the day you were conceived. He knows every breath you ever take. He knows the numbers of hair on your head, all that. But he says, there's one. That, that really gets my attention, that turns my head, that, that really causes me to say, hey, wait, wait, check that one out. And what is it about that one? It's humility. There's a phrase that's repeated three, four times throughout Scripture and implied on other ones. It was originally written by a man named Solomon. Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived. He would have done well to listen to his own words. These 10 words, and these 10 words would really be good for us to just let them soak in our minds for a while. And James quotes him, quotes Solomon, he says this. Scripture says, and here are the 10 words. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, look at the verbs. God opposes and he gives. God doesn't stay neutral. God doesn't ignore the proud. There's an active thing that he does. I can face opposition from a lot of sources. I don't want to face opposition from God. And God opposes the proud, but, but he gives grace to the humble. He doesn't overlook that either. So when you see this, that, that, that the one that turns God's head, the one that grabs his attention, the one that he looks to, the one that he gives grace to, is the humble. You see, you see the importance of this. 
C.J. Mahaney in his great little book it, the, titled Humility, it's a great little book to read, in that he, say, he states this, drawing his attention means also attracting his grace, his unmerited kindness. Think about that. There's something you can do to attract more of God's gracious, undeserved, supernatural strength and assistance. It's this humility thing. Randy Alcorn said, humility is this, and I love the imagery of this, is the lightning rod that attracts God's grace. This lightning rod in our life that that we put up there, that somehow just draws God's grace to us, it's humility. Now, we've been looking at Micah, but I've been trying to weave some Christmas themes throughout this series just as we're going into this, uh, the Christmas season. Last week, we looked at Joseph and the whole idea of mercy. Today, when we're talking about humility, I think it'd be good to look at one of the Christmas uh, characters as well. To look at Mary. Here's this young girl, probably early teenage years, and an angel appears to her. Most of you are familiar with this story. Tells her about this child that she is going to bear. Tells how God is going to do this. It's an amazing thing. She goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth has this kind of miraculous uh, pregnancy going as well. She's well on in years, and she's six months pregnant with John the Baptist. She walks in. Elizabeth is excited. John the Baptist does this in utero flip and sticks the landing. Read it in Scripture. It actually happens. And in response to all of this, Mary, on the spot, writes a song. The song is profound. We refer to it as the Magnificat, because the first words are, my soul glorifies, my soul magnifies, Magnificat, magnifies the Lord. And this is how her song starts off. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's talking about herself, and you might say, well, now that's not very humble. She's calling herself a humble servant. No, no, notice where she's pointing. It's what God has done. And she's just pointing out the fact that God, that God has been mindful. Who am I, she would say. I'm just this little girl from, from this little town in Nazareth. And, and, and who am I? And she would go on to say, because of what God has done, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And we've looked at that word blessed to mean so fortunate, so happy, so lucky, that all generations will look on her and say, lucky? I mean, you've got the grace and the blessing of God. And why? Because the mighty one, she keeps pointing to God. This is her humility. Because the mighty one has done great things for me. And later in that same song, she would state this. He has brought down, again, pointing back to this phrase that Solomon wrote so many years earlier. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see Mary here. This picture of humility and the way that God's grace and blessing was poured out on her. And some of us would respond now and say, well, yeah, of course, it's Mary. (laughs) Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord's with her. What about me? You know, I mean, this is Mary, like the mother of God, Mary. Granted, but what we've seen is this humility thing is not just for the spiritual elite, This is for every single one of us. This is required of every one of us. This is, every single one of us are able to achieve this. In fact, the biblical mandate along this one is to humble ourselves. It says to humble yourself. Here's what you need to be really understanding about this humility piece. 
is that humility doesn't come on to people because of some special dispensation from God or the Holy Spirit. Humility is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Humility is not one of them. The Holy Spirit works in our life to produce his fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what's not listed in that list? Humility. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Never in Scripture are we told to pray for humility. But over and over again, we are told to humble ourselves. That it's an act of the will. It's a decision that we make. It's a choice. It's something that's on us. Will we humble ourselves before the Lord? Now here's a a little caution for you. God can humble you. My recommendation to you as your pastor and your friend, you're far better off to humble yourself than to wait and let God humble you. He can, and he will. In fact, in Micah, when the leaders and the people were so self-indulgent, they were so pride-filled, they were so arrogant, Micah gives them this warning of how far off they are. He says, if you you don't get back on track, God will humble you. And here's his prediction to them in Micah chapter 2. Therefore the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. You're not going to be able to walk proudly anymore. What's going to happen to you? And eventually it would. The northern kingdom in 722 B.C., when Assyria would come in and take them out. The southern kingdom later in uh, 586 B.C., when Babylon comes and captures them. He says it doesn't have to be this way. That's why he says, walk humbly. Don't walk proudly. Walk humbly with your God. So today I want us to just for, for a couple minutes look at a a couple of verses out of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, your tablet, your phone, you want to follow along, this is a great little verse to underline uh, a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have your Bible, it's way in the back. Tiny little letter. This letter was written to a whole bunch of Christians. Not just like in one city, one little town, but in a whole region, a whole area. This letter was no doubt passed around from church to church. And while these Christians were under great persecution, they were under Roman rule, Peter gives them these words of encouragement in their circumstances. And then there's these phrases in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's amazing. Starts off and he says this. All of you, not just your leaders, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Every single one of you. This applies to all of you. This is part of what God requires of every one of us. And then look whose responsibility. Clothe yourself. Don't wait for your leaders to do this for you. Don't wait for the church to do this. Don't wait for God to do this. This is something you do. Clothe yourself. And the idea of clothing yourself with humility is something that maybe Peter had heard before because Paul writes to the church in uh, the Colossian letter and he says, therefore as God's uh, holy people, uh, chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and humility. And Peter's just repeating that. Clothe yourself. This idea of of putting clothes on this act of the intentional act of your will that you do every single day. Don't go out without clothes on. Now, some of you may have heard about or seen the pictures of people sledding naked in Bellingham this week. I think there's only two places in this world where that just happens, Portland and Bellingham. Apparently, it's not a big deal. Job said, naked I come into this world and naked I shall leave. 
So we'll give you a pass. On the day you're born and the day you die, you can be naked. Until then, would you just wear clothes? I mean, for our sake. Okay, so he says, listen, every day you get up and you make an intentional choice. You go to the closet, you go to your, your drawers, you go to the, 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 uh, the, the, the rack of clothes, and you decide what to wear. Just as you intentionally decide that every day, decide to clothe yourself, to robe yourself with humility, that each day you would start saying, I think I'll put humility on today. I think I'll live humble before others, humble with my God. You know, if, if you're trying to find someone here today, and someone's like, well, go look for them. They might give you a description of how high they are, what color their hair. They might also give you a description of what they're wearing. Like, you can't miss her. She's got boots on and a red sweater. Or you can't miss him. He's got one of those lime green Seahawk jerseys. You can't, you can't miss him. But whatever they're wearing, whatever clothes might describe, help you understand. What if? People said, how would you ever recognize Christians in this world? One of the things they would say is, you can't miss them. They clothe themselves with humility. They're, they're the humblest people. I mean, they're amazing. The things that they do, the justice and the mercy, but, but there's just this humility about them. He says, that's, that's what you do each day. You clothe yourself with humility. And why? And again, he quotes Solomon. Here it is again. Because God opposes the proud, same ten words, but gives grace to the humble. Somewhere that ought to sink in. We want this. And then he comes back around to whose responsibility this is. And he says... Humble yourselves. Don't pray for it. Don't wait for it. Choose it. Do it. Act on it. Decide. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself before your Lord. Sometimes we humble ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. That's not productive. Because if we make progress, then we start getting prideful. When you humble yourself before God when you recognize how holy and righteous and just and perfect he is, when you recognize your own sinfulness, your own darkness, your own brokenness, your own failings, and to know that he loves you anyway, that he calls you son and daughter anyway, that he loves having you in his family anyway, there's no way to stand before that with pride. That's a humility, humility before God. And it's not this slamming on yourself and putting yourself down. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not like, oh, I'm such a wretch. Oh, I'm so horrible. Oh, I'm, you know, how could God ever? It's just, that's still thinking about you. You're still the center of attention. He says, it's thinking about yourself less. Focusing on God and others. That's humility. And that's what Mike is saying. Act justly, love mercy, that's focusing on others. Walk humbly with God, that's focusing on God. It's not just about us. It's to walk humbly. So, so we've looked at these, these three re- requirements. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And the humility piece is, um, is powerful and is recognized even outside the walls of the church. Some of you remember a few years ago the classic business book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins. In that book, he talks about a level five leader of these companies that went from good to great. The level five leader, the number one aspect about them is this extreme humility. Beautiful thing. This is in a secular business book, encouraging you know, leaders to, to be extremely humble. 
And these three things, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, anyone can do these. Um, years ago, um, my wife and I were walking around Lake Padden on the horse trails back there, and there was a lady coming down the trail towards us. She had her dogs with her. And she had this shirt, and I could see the words mercy and justice, and I'm thinking, immediately, I'm thinking, Micah 6.8. Now, I don't know anything about this woman. I don't know if she's an atheist, but her shirt, as she got closer, said, you know, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your dog. See, you can do all three of those things with your dog and not walk with God. You can, you can act justly, love mercy. There are people who are doing incredibly wonderful humanitarian efforts in our world. People whose hearts are filled with compassion and mercy. People who are taking on genuine humility, but they're not walking with God. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus. This is what sets us apart is that the requirement that God has is not to just do this like the rest of the world, but to walk humbly with your God. With your God. Not just as a good human being. Not just as a merciful, compassionate person. Not just as a humble person. But with your God. Because that's what God has always wanted. It's the relationship. In Genesis, when he creates Adam and Eve, it says he walks with them in the garden in the cool of the day. In Leviticus, when he's calling the, the Israelites to be his people, he says, I will walk among you, with you, and be your God, and you will be my people. You'll walk with me. And if you'll walk in obedience to me, I'll bless you. And if you'll trust me, I'll provide for you. And if you'll just stay in step with me, then I will go to war for you. I will fight your battles. I will be your protector. I, will, I created you. I chose you. I redeemed you. I bless you. Walk with me. That's what he longs for. And it's not just Israel. It's for us too. It's what he longs for from, from each one of us. He says, I've created you. I've chosen you. I've redeemed you. I've forgiven you. I've blessed you. Walk with me. You know, we celebrate the great thing this week, the birth of Christ. And when Matthew talks about this, he, he again, he quotes Isaiah, and he says this, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, from the beginning, God says, I'll be with you. I'm asking you, will you walk with me? I'll never leave you or forsake you. Will you keep in step with me? Will you walk in obedience with me? Will you trust me? Will you humble yourself before me? I've already committed to walk with you. Will you, will you walk with me? And that's what we long for. For every one of us. To have that kind of a life. Not just an event. Not just a Sunday morning thing. Not just a Christmas Eve thing. But the way we do life is walking with God, humbly, filled with mercy, living out justice. All right, so we spent three weeks on this. And we've torn this verse apart. I mean, almost every single word. He's shown you the individual thing. Oh, man. What is required, not just desired. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. There's one word we haven't spent a lot of time on. And we cannot overlook this word. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. See, this is good. That any time our Father 
requires something of us? It's because he is a good, good father. It's because he wants the best for us, because he knows what's best for us. And he says, this is good. This is how you were designed, created to live. This is how you were called to live. This is the path to the life that is good. Part of it is to humble yourself and walk with your God. And we are convinced, here at Cornwall Church, we are convinced that this is good for every single person on the face of this planet. We're convinced that every single person that you know, everyone that you work with, everyone that you pass on the road, everyone that you see every day, that their life would be better if they would humble themselves and walk with God. That their life would be better with Jesus in it. We're just convinced of that. We just believe that. Back to the Christmas story. There are some humble characters called shepherds. They're not wealthy, most likely uneducated, and they're definitely not of the spiritually elite. They are ceremonially unclean, actually. But it's to those people that God comes. And my favorite verse out of the whole Christmas narrative, and you're going to hear it every year as long as I'm your pastor. I love it. It's this, when the angel appears to these, these shepherds and says, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He's talking to the people that would be seen as the most humble. I mean, financially, intellectually, spiritually. These are like the ones that you wouldn't even look to. And yet the angel shows to them and says, there's good news of great joy for all the people. Every single one. And if you read this passage out of Luke chapter 2, you begin to see what these shepherds do after they go you know, to see this thing which has come to pass. Then you follow it up and it says, they went and told everyone what had been told to them. And the response was, and everyone was amazed at what they said. So you're like, go tell it. Like, go, go tell it. Go tell it on the mountain. Kind of go tell it. Tell everyone about this because it's for all the people. And people were amazed. So let me circle back to something that I've challenged you with to make sure that you understand where I'm coming from on this. The second half of the 5-5 challenge was not just the five pounds, but the five people. To be praying for and inviting five people. Not just so we have big numbers. That's not it. But because this is good news of great joy all the people. So this weekend, at our Christmas Eve services, I cannot wait because I get to just, in a very simple, and listen to this, short sermon. In a very simple and short sermon, I get to say why Christmas is good news of great joy for all the people. And just like the shepherds went and told everybody, we want everybody to hear this message of how much God loves them, of how God is on their side, of how God wants to redeem them, how God wants to walk with them and wants them to walk with him. That's why we're asking you to pray. That's why we're asking you to invite. That's why we're asking you to bring people with you. Because they're way more receptive to coming to church this Saturday than any other time of year. All right, a couple more verses and we'll close. Timothy writes this, 
I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. That's why I always say, pray and invite. Don't just go give out cards, you know, these invite cards. I mean, that's, it's a tool, but pray. Pray that God would bring the right people across your path. Pray that their hearts would be open. Pray that they'd be receptive. Pray that they come. Pray that they would hear. Pray that the Lord would, would just ambush them with his goodness. Pray. Why? It goes on, Paul says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants, and here's this word again, all. Who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I want to say this, and I hope you know my heart. All day Saturday, I, our staff, many of you volunteering, will, in essence, please know my heart when I say this, will give up our Christmas Eve. Not looking for sympathy. You know why? Because we want people to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. And we believe that God is going to do some things there and some seeds are going to be planted and the Holy Spirit is going to reach some people and their lives will be changed for all of eternity. And we're asking you to partner with us in this, to be here, to serve, to pray, and to invite. And I, I promised you I will never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. This is why I'm praying for Ryan and his mom that they will come. This is why I'm praying for Jamie and his girlfriend, that they will come in here. That's why I'm praying for Richard and his wife, that maybe this would be the year that God would do something incredible and change their lives. This verse, I spent three weeks on it, Mike 6, 8. What if, what if we memorized this? What if we put this on three by five cards? What if they kept, we kept this before us? And what if we began to live this way? What if we began to really find out, God, how do I work for justice in this world? God, transform my heart to being filled with mercy where I love it. And every day, may I wake up and choose to walk humbly. You know what would happen? that your spiritual landscape in your life would be altered by Jesus. And the spiritual landscape of this church would be altered by Jesus and our friends and our community in this world. So here's what I want to do. I invite you to stand. And as we close out this series, I want us to read this verse together. Go ahead and stand. Wake them up and have them stand. <laughs> I want us to read this verse together, but I need you to do something for me. When we get to this word man, don't say the word man. Say your name. And when we get here, don't say the phrase your name. Say your name. You follow me? I mean, I'm thinking you're sharp enough to do this. You insert your name here because I want you to hear the words of God through the, through the prophet Micah to you specifically. So read this out loud with me, inserting your name. He has showed you, oh, Bob... What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires, and every single one of us can do it. Hey, I've asked Ron and the team if they would close us with that, that go-go song that we've been doing, and, uh, because this is what 
God has called us to do is what the shepherds did.